0: No shortage of surprises and some superb racing so far in the cyclocross season. As we head for the World Championships in Lafayette, Arkansas, later this month, two of the front runners for the men's race are already out: Matthew Vanderpol with a back injury, Wout Van Aert concentrating on the classics. So, could this be the year that Tom Pidcock takes world gold? He didn't ride the recent British Championships, leaving Thomas mine to fight off our guest Cameron Mason for the whim. But he'll be back for the Worlds. In the women's, the season's standout and current world champion Lucinda Brand was beaten in the Dutch Nationals by Mariana Vos, who's rapidly returning to top form, with Celine Alvarado close behind. So the women's Worlds looks unlikely to be a one-rider race. And is the stage set for a British man to win in Arkansas? Well, who better to ask than 10-time British champion and former European champion Helen Wyman a multiple British champion Ian Field? I think most people are going to
3: see Tom as the standalone favourite now, especially how he's done in the few uh, cross races that he's competed in this winter. But Wells is just that one hour on one day out of the entire year. So to a certain extent, Anything can happen. Uh, we saw the World Cup there earlier in the year and Quinton Hermans rode away with it quite convincingly and looked uh, super strong. So, yeah, I think on paper everyone's going to be looking to Tom, but I think there's still four or five guys that that could win it on the day.
0: Now, Helen Wyman, welcome to you as well. Um, uh, some great racing in the women's fields so far. Um, and looking like it could be a great race in the States. But Lucinda Brand really does look um, pretty unstoppable, doesn't she? She
1: is incredibly strong at the minute, and she's done a lot of training camps during the season. She's missed a couple of World Cups, so she could probably put all her focus onto Worlds. But we saw at the beginning of the season how strong Mariana Voss was. In that, in that World Cup, yeah, she was only third, but she was still super strong. And Clara Hunsinger in America, on American soil... I remember at European Champs, I probably only won that sprint because you're on home soil, and so you can't take that away, especially if it's a muddy race, then Hansinger's got to be on the podium.
0: Yeah, we should never forget Marianne Vos, should we? Never, ever underestimate her, should we?
1: Definitely not. She's one of the best riders in the world, and she has been for at least 10 years. the start of the season, she was super strong, and now she's took a little break and she's coming back, but even so like Ian said, anything can happen at the World Championships. There are five or six really good riders that are just pushing those podium spots, and Val de Sol World Cup, how amazing was that? Firstly on the snow, obviously, but the finale of that race for the women's race was just incredible, and yeah, Fem van Emple's under 23, so she's not in the elite, but even so, sometimes people crack under pressure at Worlds. I don't think this Brand will, but Anything can happen.
0: obviously, in addition to uh, Tom Pickcock, there's some other strong British talent there in the in the sort of younger ranks. And uh, we'll be hearing from Cameron Mason a little later in this podcast. But in the women's field, Zoe Baxter is looking really strong as well, isn't she?
1: She is incredibly strong. It's really impressive to see an elite level winning her first race in Belgium, first pro race in Belgium this year. She's had podiums already over Christmas. I don't think she's really doing any more junior racing this year probably just worlds she's an incredible talent and it will be really exciting to see how she progresses over the years she only started racing cross two two seasons ago so she's obviously good at everything <laughs> she's one of those riders but I think that she she is definitely favourite for Junior Worlds, but I think her career in the future could be really exciting to watch as well. Uh,
0: both of you were very successful in your careers, both at home and in Europe. Um, but uh, Ian, it was a very different um, scene a few years ago, wasn't it, in terms of the number of British riders who were out there with you?
3: Yeah, that's completely changed. Um, I remember first going to Belgium and staying with Helen, um, and it was pretty much me Helen um, Gabby Day at the time now Gabby Durran um, and then Nikki Harris and that was pretty much it that was <laughs> all that you really got at, at a World Cup and now it's just so good to see so many young riders going abroad and and kind of doing what we did of, of just getting stuck in and, and seeing how far you can get in the sport, basically. I would like to think we maybe opened up the door slightly and and showed that it was possible to, well, for me, kind of knock on the door of the top 10 uh, World Cup level. Um, and Helen obviously winning those races kind of d- helped develop this generation and perhaps gave them something to aspire to. And it looks like they're <laughs> aspired to it and gone past it by quite a margin, which is just great for the sport in the UK.
0: And what was it like um, for for both of you going out there at that time into such a sort of an intense scene?
1: I'm going to say from my point of view, it wasn't probably quite as tough as Ian, because at the time women's racing really didn't exist. So we weren't on television. We didn't have world championships until 2000. And my first pro race was 1999. So you know, I was at the beginning of the sport for women.
0: That's extraordinary to think now, isn't it? It
1: is is ridiculous. And a lot has changed since then. And a lot has come about because of the stuff I helped to do on the UCI Cross Commission and equality and all those things. But, but yeah, for me at the time, it probably wasn't as daunting because the eyes weren't on me so much. Whereas for Ian, he was trying to come into a, into a very Belgian established um, community. And we did have people um, like Jonathan Page was quite helpful at some points and he'd already had a world's medal at that point. So, you know, he knew what it was like to be there, but as it, as it became more successful and more on television, you know, someone came into a supermarket once and stopped just to tell me that I'd had a terrible ride that weekend. <laughs> they didn't buy anything, they just walked straight out and they saw the team car was there. So they were like, and so, yeah, as a as an outsider, then as a woman it was easier and I think probably we had Steph as well and my husband and we had like an environment that was as homely as you could make it in Belgium and that really is important for young riders coming through because a lot of people crack just because they're not in a happy uh, or in in an environment that feels familiar anyway.
0: You, um, Helen, loved some of the courses in Europe, didn't you? Um, Including some of the ones that other people might regard as a bit brutal, some of the really tough ones.
1: Yeah, Koppenberg's my absolute favourite by a million miles. (laughs) I've won it the most out of any woman. Sven obviously has won it about 27 times. But yeah, it was my absolute favourite. And even the last time I won it, I was actually riding up the hill um and Yelena vishviran was coming close to us it was me and katie compton and i could hear the commentator say she's like five six seconds away and i knew if she caught us she'd beat us in the sprint because it's uphill finish and she'd won it twice and at that point i'd won it three times and she could have equaled so i was like well i'm just going to attack i'm going to attack really hard i don't want her joining us <laughs> and even if i don't win at least i still have won it the most it's like but yeah i love those kind of courses because they didn't require much tactics. They just required going as hard as you could and hoping that you'd be the best.
0: And Ian, what are your lasting memories of uh, racing over there? Just the the passion of
3: like the people, really. It is like a religion for them. And the big thing for me is, it's like in this country, we have football supporters who never play football or can't even kick a ball kind of thing and that's the vast majority of Belgian spectators like they don't ride bikes apart from wobble down to the local pub or cafe or whatever they're very knowledgeable and they're passionate about cross as a sport and so you turn up to these events with huge crowds and there's like 50 odd year old very overweight Belgians uh, stood there watching you and they know an awful lot more about the sport than most of the UK riders. It's uh, quite crazy really. But uh, I think my lasting memory will just be like diving into those races. And and at the time there wasn't really under 23 races for me to do. Um, we had obviously world championships, but like at the super prestigious and at the time it was GVAs. So the B2O bad cameras now, Um I was just thrown in with Sven Nace, Bart Wellens, etc. And initially, just the, the goal was not to get lapped. It, There's certainly no goals of top 10, top 15s, anything like that. I think I pretty much managed it. I didn't get lapped out um, in the first season anyway. Um, I remember going across the the bottom field at Koppenberg, uh, the infamous year where Sven Nace and Lars Boom were racing each other down a super slippy descent. Uh, Sven crashed and like dislocated his finger and I remember looking around as I was kind of exiting onto the road to finish my penultimate lap and Sven had just entered the field and I just like huge sigh of relief because I'd made it round the Coppenberg without getting lapped and uh, yeah just memories like that really and then I don't know five six years later leading the Coppenberg for a couple of laps was just kind of like a nice story really gone from nearly getting lapped to to actually leading guys like Sven and such like it's just yeah I
0: don't think those memories will ever leave me well let's look ahead to the worlds in Arkansas because last time they were held in the states was Kentucky in 2013 wasn't it and you were both there um what what are your memories from that uh, from that time Helen
1: some of my memories are probably I was riding for Kona at the time and I'd done a lot of racing in America and Ian had done a load of racing with us as well over there and we kind of knew it was a much friendlier atmosphere so everybody that that goes to watch cheers for everybody whereas in Belgium it could be Sana comes through silence (laughs) and like over there everybody is just cheering for, for everyone and it's really exciting and it's cool. In the race itself yeah it was really loud but in the men's race, I actually stood, there was a little section where they went in and out of the woods. It was kind of close to the finish. And I stood in that section. And when the every rider came through, it was loud. And when the American riders came through, I've never heard anything like it. It was just deafening. And it was absolutely amazing to see the spirit that everyone has had over there and how excited they were that you were there and how they just wanted to talk to you. And it's very different trying to communicate in a language that's not your native language. And so when you're in Belgium and people want to talk to you, you can speak back enough to hold a conversation, but they don't see your personality. Whereas in America, you, you know, you're just having a laugh and a joke with people. And then the other memory is the after party <laughs> that was supposed to be on the Saturday night. And so not many people would have gone, but because the um, floods, they moved all the racing together onto Saturday. And everybody went to this after party that my friend had actually booked out the place because he thought it'd be a good night, good way to get everyone together. And it was just hilarious. And like Jeremy Powers was on the decks. And I think Tebow was there as well, did something. And then Jeff Kabush goes up to Sven. He's like, let's crowd surf. (laughs) Sven's like, "Uh, I still have races. (laughs) And it was just uh, like, yeah, it was just brilliant. There's stories you can't tell from that night, but it really was just amazing amazing atmosphere and something you've never seen or would never get in Belgium
0: because you did race in the states quite a lot didn't you? you 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 really enjoyed racing over there
1: yeah I rode for Kona for nine years and so I ended up racing eight years I did at least four weeks if not six to eight weeks over there and I absolutely loved it it was if it wasn't for that I wouldn't have stayed racing for as long because it was so refreshing to be able to park where the other elite men park and (laughs) being able just being as supported as them basically and um equal prize money they even even back then in 2009 they were doing equal prize money top three which when you go to see one that goes from 250 euros to 1400 so it was a huge huge difference and yeah they don't do start money in america but they do travel costs and and stuff like that. And you've got equal prize money as a woman. You can get, you could, at the time, it was the only place where they did that. So.
0: And what are the differences, both of you, in, in the uh, courses in America compared to the European ones? Because they do tend to be different, don't they? In the same way that they're different to UK ones as well, I guess.
3: The American course is a bit more like UK courses. So I always say to people like, Belgians will literally race across anything So a cow field uh, and an old old industrial site, like anything, they'll just make a course up and bring the supporters in and almost take the course to the supporters in a way in the UK and America, they tend to kind of find a good place for a course. And then if the spectators come, they come. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed actually the American courses because they were a bit of a hybrid between the UK and European, like, the UK is normally super tight, super twisty, like just corner after corner. Um, and the American courses definitely have those in in kind of parts. But then also I think they had decent kind of power sections um, and really interesting features that they put into their courses because, yeah, the Americans like to do kind of cool, slightly different things with their courses. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the American courses, probably almost more than a lot of the European courses,
0: to be fair. and Was that the same for you, Helen?
1: I definitely liked the tougher, the, the wetter American courses because, like Ian said, when there's lots of corners and stuff like that, and if it's super fast, that was never my thing when I was young. And I was, yeah, as you get older, you lose fast twitch fibers, so it's really hard to, like, accelerate as fast as some of the young riders. For the first few seasons, it was always muddy. And one of the most epic courses is Gloucester in the mud, with like a sand, sand beach sections, like steps back up, a big run up. And it was just amazing. It was one of the best courses. It was on this beautiful harbour just north of Boston. And there were these ships in the background and these massive rock. And if, that, if they could guarantee that weather, that would be World Cup level racing. Unfortunately, they actually <laughs> they had problems with the course. And so it got less and less epic over the years. They are quite weather-related. So when it's super fast and hot, I didn't enjoy them that much. But when they were really nice and, – and to be fair, the season started started to start earlier and earlier anyway, so that didn't help the situation really. But the fans are brilliant in America. And, yeah, I like I say, I loved racing there. I really loved it.
0: And we had a sort of sneak preview of the Arkansas course, didn't we, um, uh, last year. Um Did that sort of give any indication as to who might – go well what sort of rider it would um it would suit
1: i think it would suit the riders with more power over the younger riders that are really good accelerations i think the weather again will have a huge effect and that was a muddy course when it was the world cup and so if it's dry i think it will be more bunch racing which will be more exciting to watch but i think if it's um Muddy, I think it will be more single racing and that really suits the power riders. And I do think Tom Peacock could win the men's, for sure. I think Two Nights will be his biggest rival in mud, but I do think that Peacock's the favourite now.
0: Okay, let's let's put everything on the line then. Who is going to win? Uh, women's first. Um, uh, Helen, would you go with uh, Lucinda?
1: No, because everyone else will. I'm going to say Clara Hunsinger. Clara Hunsinger will win. And I think Magalie Rochette will be on the podium and Lucinda Brand.
0: How about you, Ian?
3: I guess I've got to go different to that, haven't I? (laughs) I don't know why she pulled out of the races the other day. I'd really like to know. But Alvarado showed that she was almost back to her best at bar. So I've got my fingers crossed that. She is obviously not really there in the overalls in earlier series this season. So hopefully she's targeting worlds. Um, And therefore, my prediction of Alvarado winning from Brand and then Honsinger third. And then the men's?
1: Can I say that I think Zoe Banks will win the junior women's. And I think that Leonie Bentfeld will be second and probably Mira Carnarvon third. Under 23 women, I think that. It will be a fight between Puck Peters um, and Femme van Impel. And in the under-23 men, I want Cameron Mason to win. <laughs> but the reality is it will probably be Pim Rona. And the junior boys, I can only say I haven't watched and I don't really know anything about them. But the elite men, I'm going to say Pidcock. Pidcock from Two Narts from Michael Van Tornel.
0: I
3: think Pidcock will win. From Michael Van Turnout and Toon Arts third. So same riders, but a different order. Junior men will be David Harverdings, who's won basically everything. I think actually in the junior men's, we could have a Brit on the podium with Nathan Smith. I think he could be up there, especially on that course, should suit him. Um, I don't think you can bet on anyone else apart from Zoe Baxter in the junior girls. Uh, under 23 girls. Helen really went out on a limb there, didn't she? (laughs) So I'm going to pick one of them and say uh, Fem van Empel. Under 23
0: men... I think Thibaut Nice might win. Well, thank you for being so detailed. That's, uh, we'll hold you to all of those.
1: I do, I do agree with Ian on Tebo actually, because he has come back. Oh. And he had that collarbone thing. But I want Cameron to win. I still want him to win. That doesn't mean he will.
0: <laughs> well, we'll be watching with interest. Ian Field, uh, Helen Wyman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks.
3: Why, hello there, podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at Riller.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinno, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it.
2: So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Lekker. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis. And I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think LACA's business model and the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment.
0: This is Ruler Conversations brought to you by Lacquer. On Boxing Day, where many of us were slumped in front of the TV eating leftovers, Cameron Mason was winning his first cyclocross under-23 World Cup event. And Cameron joins us now from uh, Belgium. And that was actually where you uh, won the race, wasn't it, At, at Dendermonde?
2: Yeah, it's actually only, yeah, 15 minutes. A half an hour bike ride from uh, where I stay at the moment so it's it's the closest to home World Cup I could have actually won so that's pretty cool.
0: How did it go on the day what was it that that made that day yours as it were?
2: It was a pretty heavy day the Dendermont World Cup last year was kind of particularly well known for how heavy it was and how much running there was this year they changed the course a little bit and added these kind of concrete pads to make more things rideable so I'd say this year it was a pretty well-rounded course—a little bit of sand, mud, running. So, but yeah, for me, I just managed to find my rhythm and find my groove, and and that happened to be quite a bit better than than the other guys in the race. So it it was just kind of yeah, it wasn't particularly tactical. I I just kept my head and uh, and and rode rode away.
0: You were on the podium uh, last November as well, weren't you, at uh, Um So things do seem to be coming together for you um, this season, which I presume is uh, partly the result of a lot of hard work.
2: Yeah, it's, it feels like I'm doing the same thing all the time. Like, but just year by year, just making small, small jumps. And uh, some of those jumps are bigger than others. And I think at the moment I'm in one of those big jumps. So I, 2021 for me was very up and down with a lot of injuries and, the main injury being, I broke my uh, humerus just above my elbow um, in April, and that took uh, quite a long time to come back for. So when you're dealing with injury and stuff, it's always hard to know, like, like, have you lost anything, or more of a mental thing because when you are away from what you love to do for so long, yeah, I I just doubted myself whether it would feel the same, and it felt even better to be back. So it was it was kind of I was able to be on the kind of good side of of the recovery from my injury and it seems to be working in this, this cross season.
0: Uh, what's it like for a British rider on a British team like Trinity to be riding in Belgium in particular where cross is, is, is so very different to how it is in the UK, isn't it? It's almost a national sport. It's like a religion there.
2: It's nice to, yeah, have that representation it's yeah all like yeah British based team British based riders and yeah I think we've managed to make our own little space kind of within the scene and then for me to be at the front of that space and to be at the top level of the sport is kind of a bonus because yeah I I don't think we have to really prove much much else about what the setup has done over the last few years it's helped a rider like Tom and now myself and and there'll be more to come so there's no real questions around that. And it's just, yeah, people are looking to Trinity to see what, where the next riders are coming from and, and what they're doing. Because now with so many disciplines and so many different kind of approaches to the sport of cycling as a whole, it's, it's, it's not just a bog standard kind of um, progression anymore. Like I've come from a, a more mountain bike background and then cyclocross has given me that platform to become kind of world level. That could, for me though, that could have been mountain bike and road. It's, but it's that's just been the discipline that's kind of pushed me onto the scene, and then now I'm in a position that I have opportunities coming because of that in other disciplines. Which is just, that's, I think that's how it should be. They, if if every discipline is getting enough eyes on it, then those riders can have an awesome choice of of, uh, going across disciplines. And the courses
0: in Belgium and the Netherlands, how do they compare with the ones that you kind of started on in the
2: UK? The UK courses have a very kind of specific characteristics, a lot slower, a lot more technical, less straight. They're often in a smaller area, so you've got got to kind of cram more stuff into a small area, whereas in Belgium they can be a bit more spread out, a lot more straights. Yeah, I mean, it, pretty much every race in Belgium has some sand aspect, even if it's not actual sand. It's got kind of those type of characteristics where it's really rutted, and really you have to be really precise. And that's something that I was terrible at when I first came to Belgium. I just couldn't get my head around how to how a whole course could basically just be one rut. And on an amazing day, and if you if you've got the skills, it's like riding around on like a skeleton track. You can go incredibly fast, but when you don't have those skills or that experience, it's not fun at all. So uh, that, I mean, I'm still learning about all those things and, and those skills, but it's something I've got a lot better at in the last few years. And you talked about
0: speed. It also seems just from a spectator's point of view to be a lot about power as well. And some of the, um, uh, some of the elite riders in particular seem to have just phenomenal power output over that, you know, over the length of the race.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think what cyclocross riders are such good at is that maybe their absolute power isn't incredible, like their sprint power, but the way that they can repeat the power over the course of an hour and and use the micro-recovery just to get right back up to your level. Um, and it, I think, yeah, you are seeing guys who have come from cyclocross who then have other kind of qualities to them, like Tim Merlier, obviously, has had a sprinting quality within him forever but now he's in a position that he can use it on the road but then he's got all those years and years of kind of uh, neurological kind of efforts within him from cross and I think that's perfect being able like him in a classics race where he's using these little micro recovery downhill or in the wheels all those little things I think from just doing road cycling I don't know if you can really really um get that as much as in cross
0: and we we're recording this just after tom pickock announced that he wouldn't be riding the uk cross nationals because he wanted to um, be at the Ineos team camp um but he did say in that announcement how strong the young uk scene cyclocross scene is at the moment and i, I guess it is isn't
2: it yeah there's well, it's, it's clear for everyone to see if and if bbc sport and the main main people kind of we're better at covering it, then the whole public would be able to see how good salt Cross is for UK. It's such a high-level sport in quite a lot of countries, and the UK have really taken riders to right to the top. And it's not just in the last year, obviously, with people like Evie Richards, who have been winning in salt Cross races for the last few years, and we have such depth. And it's that it's the depth that's important, because I think Tom knows this as well. He's a kind of once-in-a-generation rider. He's not really a great representation of british cross he is the representation but not everyone is tom pidcock so what's more impressive that, that i see is the kind of juniors and u23s coming through in such numbers uh, i think the junior race in um, in the world cup in namur there were three british riders in the top 10 which just shows like that's only going to get stronger as, as they go up so and that just shows really what's what's happening at the moment and
0: it's weird about the tv isn't it because it is so big in in europe and compared to something like a, a stage race it's much easier to cover on television isn't it it's a really good kind of spectator package and it's just weird that it's never quite taken off
2: so much of the kind of business model is based around the fans and the maybe the betting traditionally like the betting in belgium that maybe it Satellcross has been stuck in a bit of a rut with with its development. It's having to evolve now, maybe, especially with people as they start to not focus 100 percent on cross. If these big stars are going to start missing races, they maybe need to think about how do we, how do we make it more of a priority for them. Because right now, I would say the priority for the big riders is doing it because they're passionate about it and then the money if the kind of passion from the cycling community can go up for saddlecross, then of course sponsors are going to, are going to put more of a thing towards them, them racing saddlecross. But I think it needs to keep its kind of Belgian roots, obviously, but what the UCI and World Cup are trying to do is internationalize it, but I don't think it's really working this year, but they needed to try something. And if the more eyes it reaches, the better because then people start talking and, and then things start to change. So.
0: Well, as part of that, obviously the the worlds at the end of this month are in the states again. Um, it's hard to predict anything with the way things are at the moment. But presumably, um, you're hoping to be there.
2: Yeah, that's the plan at the moment. Uh, I've never been to the USA before, and uh, I've never I've watched the race on TV. That they had a World Cup there in uh, in September, and it looks. Yeah, it looks cool. So I'm, um, yeah, of course, looking forward to
0: it. Uh, you're uh, 21. What are your sort of long-term ambitions in the sport, um, in, in cyclocross, but also wider?
2: In the whole of cycling, I think I want to be at the top level of of every discipline, or at least try to be. I think it's like, why, it, with the right people around you and the right kind of support, why wouldn't you try and learn more and and explore more in these other disciplines? I think what I've found in the last few years is mixing disciplines is only a good thing from keeping my interest and keeping things fun and relaxed and those type of things. Like when, when, obviously when the quality starts to drop then that's when I would consider kind of putting less emphasis on one discipline, but at the moment with how things are in saddle cross and uh, what I've got planned for mountain bike and road, it's, it's all possible, but as the level goes up, as you move up the kind of the rungs, then it's yeah, what Van der Poel and and Pidcock and Wout can do with multiple disciplines is is crazy. Is and you're seeing it maybe at the moment with Van der Poel's injury is it's incredibly hard. But I think at all levels there is a there is a there is a way to to mix disciplines. Cameron, good
0: luck with the world. Good luck with the rest of your season. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. And that's it from this Ruler Conversations. There's a Ruler tech podcast along next week.